Hi, I'm Brad Keston, and you're listening and watching to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Our guest today is the man behind the iconic voice and personality of Charlie Brown, at least the version of Charlie Brown that I grew up with. Uh, so you may know him from the animated series and some of the, uh, the movies that involved Peanuts, the creation of Charles Schultz. Now, he has also had many guest star appearances in pop culture TV shows and movies like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, uh, Different Strokes, Silver Spoons. He was in part of Gremlins. Family ties. We there's like a whole lot more. We could continue to <laughs> things, but we're not going to. But instead, we're going to direct our attention to our guest and welcome Brad Keston to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you, thank you. Very glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. Very excited to have you here today. You know, growing up, you know, we, everybody watches you know, different forms of Charlie Brown, and you know, sure. uh, you're a good man, Charlie Brown, and and some of these others that you were a part of. Uh, so it was kind of it was kind of exciting for me to realize that oh hey, Brad's the voice of I got to talk to Brad. Brad and I need to have a conversation. But before we get into anything Charlie Brown related or anything yeah. along those lines or voiceover related or acting related, we always hear because Kathleen and I are giant nerds, and we we freely admit that we are giant nerds. Uh, we like to know the origin stories. Tell me when I'm not here. <laughs> We like to know the origin stories of our guests. So in the in the case of Brad Keston, right. when you were a young man growing up and you saw all these things going around, what were the things that influenced you to look at a career in the arts? And what's what was the pathway to you getting to acting? Uh, growing up, I really never gave it a lot of thought. Uh, it was more my mom had gotten me into it. Uh, we moved to California, Los Angeles when I was about at 88 years old. And uh, my mom was kind of more, you know, show business, not obsessed, but interested in, in show business and things like that. And uh, we came here and she did the, you know, we drove up to like Burt Reynolds house and she made me get out and push his, the ringer at his gate and ask to see if he was home. And, uh, you know, we did the touristy kind of things like everyone does when they first moved to California. And we would frequently go to Universal Studios, not the tour but the back lot side and you could have dinner. Mm. This is back in the days, things were a little bit more free and you could walk onto the lot without a pass to go have lunch at the, the commissary. You're really not supposed to, but we did it anyway. And it's the commissary is where all the stars have lunch when they're, you know, breaking from whatever they're, if they don't have craft services on the set, they can go have lunch sure. in, in the restaurant. And it was kind of a place to be seen. There's a picture of stars on the walls and things like that. And uh, when we left, somebody on the lot had asked if I was in, if I was a TV star, something something along those lines. And I think that was kind of like the the light bulb over my mom's head. And she uh -huh. was trying to figure out what you know, send out pictures. And we, uh, I'm blanking her name. The mom from the Partridge family, Shirley Shirley Jones. Yeah. Uh, so Shirley Jones and her husband, Marty, um, were nice enough to get back to my mom, how she got their 
address to their office and whatnot. Uh, she asked them a bunch of questions and, and surely referred a bunch of agents to us. And they were like top talent agents and they all wanted me. And we picked one of them, uh, Wormser Hofana Joseph, which specialized with children. And the rest kind of is, you know, my history. It's, the rest is history. Um, they kept me super busy. I had a commercial agent and a, and a theatrical agent, a voiceover agent, and did some modeling stuff. And it was just constant almost okay. every day after school, like three, four hours a day. Didn't get home until like seven o'clock for at least four, four nights a week. Super oh, wow. Busy. It's, it was a it's a it was a crazy crazy childhood that I liked. I never complained about it. It was fun. All my friends were the friends that the got the kids that kind of eerily looked a little bit like me because we all went from one interview to the next to the <laughs> next. So it was like all these kids um, looked had that same look. It was like a, a Corey Feldman was always like we were always not following each other, but like going to the same interviews and. Jason Hervey. And there was like a group of maybe like seven or eight kids. And okay. we all grew up kind of running on that cycle. It's you know, that actually, that actually was exactly the first question I had for you was about your, your group of friends, because that's not a typical childhood by any means. I mean, it was, I, I didn't know that. And that's the <laughs> that's weird true. thing. That's, that, that was my, that was a typical childhood which is why most childhood actors are really screwed up when they become adults <laughs> because they don't real, because they really, they don't right. they quit the industry and they don't know what to do with themselves. They just crave sure. freedom, but they don't know what freedom sucks. I mean, like it really does to be free. It's not all it's cracked up to be. It's like we grew up with somebody telling us where to go, what to do, what to wear, how to act. Mm-hmm. And you fight, you kind of like fight that as you become a teenager and you realize, oh my God, that was the best time of my life when I didn't have so much freedom to yeah. make your own choices. And, you know, you, you cross your fingers and pray to God that, you know, they don't go the, the, the bad path, which right. unfortunately happens so, to a lot, happens so to a lot of people. Yeah. So plus you realize that adulting sucks. So I mean, adulting is horrible. It's horrible. And uh, <laughs> it is, <laughs> it's a terrible thing. Then that's something that nobody taught us. <laughs> they, nobody taught me. It's not really taught. Um, right. My school was three hours a day on a film set or a soundstage set. And it was either one-on-one -on -one or one in five. That was the ratio. One, one teacher for you know, one kid or five kids. Uh, it's also a reason why a lot of actors wind up getting, getting to like Harvard and Princeton. Yeah, because they actually... one on one. If, oh, yeah. if I had one on one training my entire life, I got A's on everything that I got. So those were like my best grades. Well, that is a huge advantage over the the public schools with one to twenty five, one to thirty, or 40, 40. Before COVID, it was like one. I'm in LA. It was like one in forty, and they were still shoving more kids into the classroom. Wow. I know when I was growing up, it was one to 25 or one to 30, yeah. but still, I mean, that's, that's a lot. It's exhausting it enough as a mom of one. Yeah. And you're trying to teach her things and trying to make sure that she's learning. I can't imagine a teacher with a group of 40. Love. Yeah. I, with 35 I, other little buttheads that you can't do anything to. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I much, I much preferred the one-on-one -on -one and then these kids that went on interviews with me for, for years. Those are your friends. 
those are the ones that you you know you know i mean i had friends that was that were like in school that i kind of grew up with maybe like one or two three four of them that that you're close to but the majority you don't have like a a gang of friends growing up it was basically my showbiz i call my showbiz friends who i'm still friends with a, a couple of handfuls now maybe like you know five ten people that i've known for 42 years I have more in common with them and more kind of uh, nostalgic. We all kind of have, we all share the same nostalgia for the old days rather than like the other, the, the, the regular friends that, okay, maybe I played baseball for a few years because I wanted to have a normal childhood, but right. I hated it. I hated it. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't wait to get a job and get like a commercial that, you know, you're, you're going out on three commercials a day four days a week, you have an average that you're supposed to get. You'll get like one, two and 10. You'll book two and 10. You get a toy. Like my, I got a reward, like a dog. So what it was, you got a treat. If you, if you, that was my incentive. I was the only kid in sixth grade with a king size waterbed. It was ridiculous. I mean, like, that's what I wanted. I was, it was the eighties 1981. What does Brad want? I want a waterbed from the waterbed king and now, you know, whatever. And, and it was, Beautiful. It was a great head. You remember them with the mirror mm-hmm. and oh, the yeah. headboard and the, and the the stacks for your books. Ridiculously comfortable. It was Ooh. ridiculously ridiculous that I had one. And it was <laughs> just I Ooh. you know, and but it was it was I got it for I don't even you know what now that I'm thinking I can't even remember. I can't even remember. It was like I'd take a Burger King and I booked a Burger King and a McDonald's commercial in like the same week and I got like, you know, what do you want? And it was only like six hundred dollars. And by saying only $600, that's kind of the ridiculous of it. Right. $600 now is not a lot, but $600 in 1981 was like maybe $1,500. Who gets a 10-year-old kid a $1,500 waterbed? It was awesome. I loved it. But it's, um, <laughs> I look back on it now, and it's just kind of like I shake my head. I would have never gotten my daughter a waterbed. Just regardless, waterbeds are like ridiculously like fragile. Like you jump on it with like, your keys and you know mm-hmm. you wind up having a flood in the upstairs bedroom one so, wrong thing in the pocket that's right yeah it's you know i look on it with just stupid nostalgia and it's, i have friends that have the we all share the same kind of like can you believe that we had this that this is this was our life and some people had more normal childhoods than others and some of them were you know a little crazier than others but it's all that shared experience that keeps us still friends so i mean you're you're saying that keeps you still friends so you're still in touch with with some everybody. of them everybody i'm i'm in, i'm still in touch with probably 20 actors that i've known since i was eight between eight and ten. Oh, that's cool you know a lot of them i see uh, you know like uh, the autograph shows if we go to like comic-con and we're mm-hmm. at a table oh yeah that's like seeing all my buddies it's like sitting at the lunch table at school in a way yeah it's a school reunion. weekend with your friends so it's like if if my manager goes, oh, you're you're booked to go to Chiller, you know, in in New Jersey. I'm stoked because I know at least like five to ten people that are going to be signing there, and it's like, okay, I'm going to be going away for three days, and I can go hang out with my friends, and they're all either cool. flying out of Los Angeles, and so it's kind of uh, you know that, that's always fun. But yeah, I'm, I'm friends with more showbiz kids than than my regular friends. Outside of Facebook, I, you know that's that's a. I think that's a a an insight into that world that 
that not many people have, we, we, you know, from the outside looking in, because, because from the, the outside looking in, it just, to me, you know, it's always been, oh, hey, it's just guys here, uh, you know, just, just doing, the, you know, getting some extra money for, for, you know, from their career and, and things like that. And I never really thought of it as kind of like a, you know, a reunion of sorts and, and a chance to hang out with your pals. And that's kind of a really <laughs> kind of makes it a, a more of a fun experience now, because I always thought that, you know, some of these guys, I see, I see people at different tables, you know, the different mm. cons that we've gone to uh, people standing there and talking at different tables and people walking up, shaking hands, giving each other hugs. And it's like, Oh, Hey, they probably just know each other from other, you know, from a couple different jobs or, or things like that. I've never really thought of it from that perspective that it's, you know, guys who've been doing this for years, seeing each other and having a chance to catch up. And, you oh, know, yeah. a lot of those people, if they're in their, you know, fifties and sixties and they're doing whatever convention, they've known each other probably since they were 10 years old, 12 years old, if they're, they're from that era. That's cool. So, you know, chances are they did the same thing as I did. They went from studio to studio, from casting call to casting call. And even if they were a few years off, they probably knew each other in passing from parties, from award shows, from, you know, same representation, you know, their agent's office. So it's, uh, yeah, going to them. Yeah. It's fine. You make a little extra money if, if, you know, you've got a fan base that, that cares, but you know, the flip side of that is I get to hang out with friends for a couple of days and, you know, so see them and see them a few times a year, you know, when we're not busy in our own lives. Where we've got That's like awesome. two or three days to just go to the bar and have a few drinks and and you know just have some fun. So let's talk a little Charlie Brown. Let's let's change uh, directions here just for a quick moment. Now Charlie Brown originally came out in the 1960s. You weren't born until 71, so obviously you you're not the first to voice Charlie Brown. That was Peter Robbins, who sadly <laughs> passed away earlier this year. As a young man going into that were you coached how to approach the voice of Charlie Brown or is this something that you just went for? And the reason I asked that is because we've talked with different people who have, who have come in after the fact, like we, we talked just a couple of weeks ago to Daphne Maxwell Reed, who took over as aunt Viv and the fresh Prince of Bel Air yeah. and you know how she approached that role coming into it, you know, okay. because she wasn't the first aunt Viv. And so it's it, again, for us as, as non-actors, it's kind of neat to have the perspective of somebody who, who took on a role that has already been established was already, was already going. So mm -hmm. as a young man, were you coached how to approach it? Or did you just sit down in front of the mic? And, and were you just Brad? I was just Brad. Um, I had like, like I hear from other from from other people, um, like like Keith Coogan, who interviewed for for Linus, uh, he had told me that it was and, and, and I wasn't even aware of this, he was that they had looked for, for the Peanuts characters like far, it was like a nationwide search. They were looking in New York. They were looking in, in places in the Midwest that had, you know, a voiceover hub and all through the, the West Coast. There were like hundreds and hundreds of kids interviewing for this role. I had absolutely no idea. Um, I didn't know if I cared if, if that was happening or not. Um, I was, like my thing was, I knew what, what interviews I had for the day. My mom would drive me to the set interview. We'd rehearse the lines beforehand. And then there I'd be called, I'd go in, I'd do my lines and then I'd go to the next one. And I think I did it that way to separate myself from the constant no, you know, the rejection aspect of it. I never really got upset. If I didn't get a role, if there was a role that I really felt that that, that part would do in the actor thing, that role is me and if I didn't get it, and there's more times I didn't get, I get named, 
the amazing movies on my hand, on my fingers that I didn't get that really killed me, maybe 10 out of hundreds. Okay. So I separated myself from if I didn't get it. I knew what Charlie Brown sounded like. I already had a low kind of, de- not depressed sounding voice, but like just, I wasn't a soprano. I didn't talk with a high pitched voice. So I kind of knew the pace of what Charlie Brown was because I was already a fan of the show and the comics. Mm. And so I went in there and, and did my impression of Charlie Brown. What I found out after the fact was as Lee Mendelson, who the producer of it, as he would take all these tapes and at night he would sit in a soundstage and listen to them one after the next, after the next. And his son, Jason, would was playing on the floor with like his trucks and his little toy trucks and my voice my reel came on the speakers and jason looked up and said that's charlie brown so he act and he went really and then he listened to it again and so his son would actually pick me which i thought oh, was that's cool neat you know thing his his son knew all of like knew had listened to these and and that he was listening and and looking for something specific and his and then his father we i went back and interviewed again and i think i interviewed like three different times then wound up getting the job so it was a big it was a big deal and i didn't even realize what a big deal it was and i think that was like a a safety mechanism in my brain to not you want to get the job but just be prepared to not get it do your sure. best. And if you don't get it, don't, you know, don't jump off the roof. And that's, you know, I think it's a, a safety mechanism my mom had programmed in me somehow. And I got it and it was the best. I was by far the best job I ever had of any job from the, my first to last. It was the best job ever. It was a guy, okay. the pe- people I met and yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy times. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, in, in thinking of that so i went back and i and i i brought up a couple different youtube screens on on my computer uh, mm-hmm. this morning as i was kind of you know preparing for this this conversation and i played some of the early lines of peter robbins and in his his version of charlie brown and then i i had a couple of yours set up from i think from it's a you're a good man charlie brown and and some of the the uh, tv shorts that you did and i played them back to back I play this. I'd play Peter Robbins, and I would play you. And I play Peter Robbins, and I would play you. Now, to the untrained ear, and if you're just listening, you're so very close in sound. Mm-hmm. You know that to me, anyway. Uh, it was so very close in sound that I had to double check that I had that I had found the right clips, and that I wasn't I wasn't skipping on 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 you know or listening to Peter and thinking it was you. I think it would have been closer had the technology been better in the '60s. The oh, microphones sure. were so much better in the early '80s than they were in the late '60s. The mid, actually, middle six, mid '60s. I think that I think it, we would have sounded closer. And I and actually, I, I I agree with you for the most part. It's there, there's a very they've always looked for a specific sound for Charlie Brown. Sure, it's just a level. Some of them, you know, some of the voices in you know in the past, and and some of them hit the mark. Some of them, in my opinion, didn't. You know, I would say there were there were more that hit the mark, but there's mm-hmm. a certain level that they were always looking for. That I think sure. that we would have gotten closer to the win in the '60s. It had the mic. I think the mics weren't as good. That's kind of how I kind of looked at it. 
Oh, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. You know, the, the differences and in, in, in improvements and in technology, you know, if you guys had both recorded, even you think about today's technology, if you guys were, you know, as young men were able to record side by side, how close they could have made those match, you know? Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. That makes sense to me. You can even tell like by the, the difference between, let's say, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas and let's say the series, the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, the mm-hmm. light, the lighting, it's so much darker. I mean, it's just like the, the animation's different. It, mm-hmm. the, the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show is a much brighter show. Like just yeah. the tone and the tones are different. So I think it's just technology. Oh, I'd agree. Like old yeah, South Park. <laughs> <New South. laughs> <laughs> like the first couple of seasons of Simpsons. Yeah, it's yeah. just like there's just a total difference between 1989 Simpsons and 1999 Simpsons, and it just get better. Uh, no, I don't acknowledge it. Um, <laughs> I haven't watched. I haven't honestly. I haven't watched The Simpsons. I think since like the early 90s. Yeah, it wasn't really my show. I was more of a yeah. South Park guy. There you go. I was more of a South Park guy. I wasn't supposed to watch it. Um, like, that was your totally dirty did. pleasure. It was your dirty pleasure. It was. It was the <laughs> mom got home from work at five. Simpsons started at five, but I had a TV in my room. So if I was doing my homework, I could watch Simpsons while doing my homework. And that got me in okay. trouble so many times. Okay. But I didn't learn. I kept no. doing it. <laughs> and my mom will listen to this episode later and be like, oh, again, well, you know what? Yeah. There were worse cartoons to watch. There now. were. There were. But hey, you can uh, tell your mom at least it wasn't Darkwing Duck. So. There you go, Ren and Stimpy. I was banned from watching Darkwing Duck. There's a whole story. There's there's a backstory there, there's and a it's a running. Yeah, it's a, it's, there's a running joke. She's gonna be so mad at you. <laughs> I know, but it's it's worth the it's worth the the slug in the arm. I'm probably gonna get when I when I meet her. So, <laughs> worth it. So it's no, worth it to me because it's a fun story. I got in trouble when I was about four for telling a grown up to suck gas, evildoer. There you go. And my mom told me I was no longer allowed to watch Darkwing Duck. It was no longer allowed in the house. And when my husband and I got married and he bought me the entire series on DVD. Um, there we go. Right. That's it was the, you can't stop me now. That's a gift. <laughs> but awesome. Talking about matching Charlie Brown's voice and voiceover work. Yeah. A lot of the times people think that voiceover is easier than other acting because it's not as physically demanding hard it's, i can it, only imagine it's 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 easy if you've created the character and it's yours mm. rather than somebody telling you how to play a character not charlie brown was easy i i kind of like i was made for that role it was just an it was an easy character to do for me i got along well with the producers and the directors and, and the staff and um it, it was it was simple. There are other stuff where they're bringing you characters and they, they're like, tell us what this sounds like. What do you think this character sounds like? And you have to kind of create, and that's how most of like Darkwing Duck, you know, things like that, like how you create a character from thin, out of thin air. Right. That's more difficult than people understand. And if you do create the character, can you do that character for three to five hours a day? And not and not ruin your voice. Can you do that voice? Oh, sure. Yeah. And it's you know spending the day in a small either you're in a small sound booth or if you're lucky if you're doing looping and dubbing which I love to do you're actually like in a theater type of situation which is glass around you in the middle of the theater and you know re- recording from there as you look up and you're mm-hmm. following just the uh, 
the numbers, you know, you're waiting for it to count down until you say your line and you have to match it, match their, their, their talking. It's, it's not an easy job to do. No. But if you're good at it and you, you know, so like tap dancing if you're, or dancing, if you're a great dancer, then it's not a difficult thing to do, but not everybody can be a good dancer. And that's the same thing with voice work. Some people that they're, they're more mediocre. There's more mediocre talent than, oh my God, you know, like crazy, amazing, talented people. There's maybe a handful. And those are the ones that, damn it, they get all the work. They get <laughs> all the work. You know, do you notice that almost every like child uh, cartoon character is, a, is, a, is female? Mm-hmm. I can't, that blows me away. That almost all of them, they're all yeah. female. And that's just weird and creepy and like why what's wrong with the men can't they i guess it's just they they can't get their their voices down to that level they can't go to the creepy person yeah they that's and it's and it's really weird that just the same six to ten actors get 80 percent of the work it's because it's a, a closed circle of extremely talented people and you need to you know it's difficult to get in that bubble it's really difficult if if i would have kept on at it from a kid to now I'd be in the, I'd be in that bubble and I'd be working constantly and be able to make a living in that industry. Cause there's probably only 20 people, 20, not 20 people, 15 to 20% that can make a living at it. Yeah. Everyone says they want to do it, but try making a living at it, not just working, but getting paid, uh, you know, enough right. to make 70,000, 120,000 and more. So it's a it's an interesting industry. Yeah. It's very it's a very difficult industry to to be successful in, not just work, but to to find any you know little bit of success. As you're talking about it though, and I'm like listing off the voice actors that I can think of of the yeah no they're in everything they're in everything they're in everything they're in everything. You look at look at uh, you know just watch a Batman cartoon. Follow the first five people and then look at, you know, their resumes and you'll, you'll find that their work begets work. Mm-hmm. If you're not, you can't be Batman or, you know, and not get work after that in something else. There's right, always right. Be, but it's just, it's, and it's not a jealousy thing. It's, it's, I, I'm, if anything, I'm just envious of, of some of these people's talent that they can right. consistently work as an adult in the, in the industry and make a living and, you know, thrive and not ever having to go into on-camera work, which is, you know, pretty crazy thing to right. be able to make a living as a voice actor. Right. I don't see it as a jealousy thing. I see it as more of a factual conversation that this is just yeah, the way it is. Well, yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that. Well, so, yeah. So Kathleen and I host another show together called Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Yeah. And on that show, we talk to a lot of voice actors. And, uh, you know, because again, we're nerds and we like nerdy things. And you know, we've talked to a lot of voice actors on that show, but, you know, a lot of them, uh, you know, you, you look at their resumes and the, it was exactly what you were just saying. The shows that they've done, you'll see a lot of the same names popping up uh, on those shows because they're able to do so many voices and do so many things. You know, instantly my brain, my brain goes to guys like, you know, Rob Paulson and D. Bradley sure. Baker, you know, the guys that are literally Will Marsh. Yeah. They always yeah. The sure. one that actually surprised me the other day is my daughter loves um, Superhero Squad. Okay. And it's just animated shorts. They're Avengers. Uh-huh. But Jim Cummings does Thanos' voice in that. Yeah. He's and awesome. I'm like, yeah, Jim's Pooh in everything too. The Pooh Bear. Pooh Bear. Yeah. Jim Cummings is like, can do everything. And it was so funny yeah. that I told my husband, <laughs> I'm like, 
Jim Cummings is Thanos in this. He's like, Pooh Bear with what? an Infinity Gauntlet. I'm blanking. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm blanking. I, you know, I, I had his name in my head and it just disappeared. He played uh, Skeletor in He Man. Um, oh, I'd have to. I'd have exactly, to that's what I'm saying. That. Exactly. It's like it just it just went right at you. Don't yeah, worry, we have a Kathleen one. for that. She'll, there we she'll go. Have Kathleen, no. he, he's he has he's in everything. I mean, his 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 resume is just crazy amazing. And yeah, that that you can you know Jim like another Jim Cummings where you can just be there decade after decade and constantly yeah. get new you know new work to new audiences. Uh, Frank yeah. Langella? No, no, an older guy, um, white mustache. The original Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Uh, Alan Oppenheimer? There we go. Okay. I'm like, there's a list of who's yeah, still been voiced not, by. Like, his, his resume is just like, I love his resume. He's just got, yeah. he's, he's just done so many like interesting, he's had so many interesting parts over the years. And, and uh, you know, I mean, I was lucky to be a part of some really interesting films and, and interesting movies in, in regards to voice work, but it's like, there's so, there's like so many great people like like gremlins there's so many amazing people in gremlins um i was thrilled to just kind of like be uh not a mogwai like the evil gremlins like a backup voice for for some of the characters and got mm-hmm. to at least like voice a few of them it would have been just like cool to be the you know mm-hmm. the mogwai or you know i mean that kind of thing it's mm-hmm. uh right yeah yeah it's just uh it was just fun to to be a part of some really bizarre cool projects at the time well that actually leads me right into my my next question so you teed that one up really well oh, uh, <laughs> so we mentioned at the outset the number of the different pop culture classics that you've been a part of you know again gremlins like you just mentioned family ties indiana jones and there's a whole bunch of others you have a fun resume to go through by the way uh, it was like literally reading through my childhood list of things that <laughs> i watched or or what it was a part of so uh it was a bit of a trip down memory lane so i, I do appreciate that no, no problem <laughs> but one of the I wanted wanted to ask you, uh, and you kind of alluded to Gremlins there, but was there an, a, a role that you want people to know about outside of Charlie Brown that meant a lot to you at the time, or something that's perhaps grown on you over the years, and you look back fondly at and go, "Man, I wish more people knew I was involved in this." Gremlins was an interesting one. The Charlie Brown thing. I have friends that going just going to Charlie Brown back to Charlie Brown real quick. I mean, I have friends sure. that until the internet until the internet came around. And you could actually prove that you were something like if you mentioned Charlie Brown or whatever until the internet, I have friends from the night, from the late eighties and nineties up until maybe 2000 had no idea that I was ever an actor. I was ever Charlie Brown or did voices for anything. Right. So once they figured out, like, how have I known you Brad for 20 years and didn't know any of these things um, that, that, that I kind of look and like where some people knew I would have had better. I would have had more game. In the late, I would have had so much more game with the internet. You know, Indiana Jones. My wife still like laughs and she's like, "That wasn't you." You know, like that. The Gremlins, the same thing. She's like, "What?" I can do the voices, but she doesn't get it. One of the funny things with Indiana Jones is back in the eighties, before there was anything political correctness, it was completely normal to have you know a twelve-year-old. Jewish white kid in a studio doing uh, Indian Pashtu voices, like like almost like an Apu from The Simpsons, 
total stereotype, but it's, it's not really a stereotype because it's what that person sounded like. Mm-hmm. Now they would demand that an Indian, you know, actor come in and do right. it. But this is just, I had, I was quasi, like, I was, well, not quasi, I was, I was like on contract with Amlin uh, Entertainment. I was doing a lot of dubbing and voiceover work with like um, the, nat- the, the natural um, Uncommon Valor and then Indiana Jones and Gremlins. Mm-hmm. That was a reason why I was constantly doing, it was all uh, Spielberg movies. Okay. And okay. It was just because like work begets work. You do one, but like, that was great, Brad come on in tomorrow and you can do this one for three days and come in the next day for four days. It was doing gremlins voices. And that was kind of, that was really, really cool and bizarre because I didn't even know what a gremlin was for the most part. They showed a picture of it. And then I would hear like what the main character, the main gremlin voice actor would do. And then, I guess what it was, was maybe to bring him in was more expensive than I was already there. And can you do this voice? And it was like for, you know, 15 minutes of, of stuff, I would do grunting, say a specific, uh, say a specific name and, and a line here and a line there. And so seeing the movie, I immediately pulled myself and I knew that was me, that was me, but it was difficult to tell people that I was in the movie because it's kind of like, an, even though it was three days worth of work and five minutes worth of voice overwork, I'm still uncredited because they can't take it away from like, let's say like the Howie Mandel. Like I know three other people that did Mogwai's voice, but Howie Mandel got the credit as mm-hmm. Mogwai. So sure. I think like, I think Bob Bergen, who does Porky Pig was Mogwai as well. He can say he did the voice, but he can't like say he was the voice. So it was the kind of same thing for myself and the character that was played by uh, Stripe. And there was a movie theater filled with, you know, gremlins having eating popcorn and, you know, me doing voices for those things. So, I, you know, I, I wish I, I wish I would have had a larger role with that because it was one of my favorite movies for a lot, for years and years. Indiana okay. Jones, same thing. But right. it was weird to say, like, what were your roles? I was the three Indian kids in the cave while Indiana Jones was getting his heart pulled out. Remember the three Indian? They were like, there was the credit mm-hmm. is slave children. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was the three slave children. And my wife, that was like one of her favorite movies. And she's to this day, she's like, that doesn't sound like you. And I'm like, acting, you know, that's why I wasn't. <laughs> Ta da! <laughs> you know, she's like, it doesn't sound like you. And I'm like, well, and I do the voice. And she's like, well, it sort of sounds like you. And I'm like, well, that was. 40 years ago and I, you know, a little bit of vocal cord change, you know, a little bit, but you know, I can, she she sees the residual check from it. So she knows I was there. Yeah. I I can see how IMDB would have helped you out as a, as a young man. No, no, no. no. I said I was on it. See right here, right here. It's, it's there. It's a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I, I kept, I mostly kept it to myself. The people that, that knew me really, really knew me knew about it because it came up in conversation or, girlfriends that we would laugh because like i always say now that all of my residuals are really small like everyone else is from you know did stuff 40 years ago but the only thing i really get paid on still is is the charlie brown stuff so when i get paid for charlie brown stuff it comes in not little waves but like a tsunami wave of for some reason they'll do the the series so there were a lot of episodes I get paid per episode and then there was the specials and it's sort of like I, I wind up, I open my mailbox and there's like 50 checks 
and there's like it's like a three inch stack and we just oh, wow. laugh we just laugh because it's like that's I won't see anything for a while there. I just, I get it. And I walk it into the bank and see the, you know, the eye roll of, of the bank teller who has to process all of them. And some people I know they get 90 checks. Now it's direct deposited, but it's, uh, you know, when you get your checks for your series, it's, it's kind of like, that's the data you go celebrate everybody that I know. They have the one check that they still make money from the one nice. show. I follow a guy on TikTok. Um, he was one from the movie hook um dante basco yeah so dante does a uh um i didn't uh, i think on tiktok where where he'll he'll fan out the checks that he gets yeah and he and he does the uh uh the roulette what am i eating today exactly am i I getting steak or am i getting french fries and i love that it's it's kind of funny to watch because you know sometimes he's opened it up and he's like yeah we're we're going for steak and trim tonight And then oh, yeah. the other times he's like, well, that's a pop tart, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, I, I saw one it. where it was the, the postage was more than the check was worth. Yeah. I, I have a few of those where I get a lot of one cent. There's a bunch of us get one cent. I have a check. I wish I would have saved it and framed it. It was 0.00. I got a fraction of a cent. I got a check for a fraction <laughs> of a cent and they have to pay you. And, and I, it was 0.00. I laughed. I called up SAG and asked, why did you send it? They're like, we have to send it. It's part of payroll. And, and it was only once. So, but I, I think That's I've funny. got maybe five or 10, you know, one cent ones. The majority of them are like between six and $15 after tax. And uh, there's a bar, an old uh, famous bar in Studio City called Residuals. And the, uh, the gimmick, of this bar residuals is if you bring them a residual check, they'll give you a beer. So, you know, a lot of times uh, a bunch of us will save our really bad, you know, five or six of our really bad residual checks. And we'll, (laughs) we'll like, all right, I've got, you know, I've got 10, let's go meet. And we, we head up to, uh, you know, it's about 10 minutes away and we head up there and nice. We we, we share some beers and and play pool or, you know, play darts or whatever is available. That's That's funny. For a bar. It's been there as long as I can remember. I, you know, I haven't been there in a few years. Um, That's cool. I, I know the bar is still there, but I don't. I'm, I'm hoping they still have the the free beer for the residual check. I'm sure they would. It is a cool concept, and I can only imagine with the that that global pandemic thing that kind of happened. That of course you haven't been there in a while. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they. I mean, no, nobody went anywhere for a while, but I would only assume that they own the they own the property. They've been there for a really long time. Yeah. If if they're if they're still there, which I know they are, they had to have owned the property. Right. right. There's no way they would have made it through otherwise. No, there's nobody. There, every there's so many places around here that are gone. Sadly, same as everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Sort of piggybacking off of Tim's question and talking about that you worked for uh, still for Steven Spielberg's films, you've gotten to work on some really cool sets with some pretty big names. So does it, do you ever look back on it and just kind of like let your mind be blown on what you are a part of? I already have. I've, I did that probably like 2000, like mid two thousands. It really hit me. I mean, it, it did a little bit for the most part earlier, but towards like the middle to the mid two thousands, more as people were asking me to do comic-con stuff mm-hmm. is kind of, I did kind of like a self-reflective. I looked more at when IMDB was first coming out and I look at, the greater cast of the stuff that I'd done and realized like people that I'd worked with. 
um, most of them because of my memory is just fried, like off the top of my head. I can remember like Claude Aikens, like I worked with Claude Aikens. I'm like Sheriff Lobo, you know, just like little things of, right. I never, uh, the, the guy that was in Fast and the Furious um, was the one that passed away from a car accident. Oh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker. I worked with Paul Walker and I'm like, I never even knew I worked with Paul Walker. It was on Monster in the Closet. And it was a tiny little film from mm-hmm. Troma. And he was in Monster in the Closet. And I was like, you know, little things where I didn't even realize certain people that I'd worked with. Um, even like with Charlie Brown, with Charles Schultz. And not a lot of people know that not every character even really met him, much less worked with him. It was a very small group of kids that worked that actually worked with him. Um, myself, I was fortunate to be one of them because of the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show was his brainchild. That was all of the vignettes in the show were based directly off of the strip. That's his work as opposed to the specials that were more the work of Bill Mendelssohn. And I mean, I'm sorry, Bill Melendez and Lee Mendelssohn. They were written by someone else, by someone else and kind of given the, you know, is this okay from Charles Schultz? And he would say, yes. And it was, you know, his, his show. Um, Gotcha. But with the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show, he was there on the set in the recording studio and we got to talk to him and interact with him. And, you know, as, as a 10, 11, 12 year old kid, it was kind of weird to me to like, if I was buddy, buddy with, you know, an older gentleman, it would be a little weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I never realized, I knew he was the boss. I knew who he was, but I didn't like freak out fan bait, you know, fanboy on him because I didn't know who he really was. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know yeah. yeah. who he was at the time. And, and also you got to remember when, when I was doing the voice, we were only celebrating the 20th anniversary of the show. So it, it wasn't, I think now we're, what are we in like the 50th of the show? I think now we're doing 50, more than 50 years of the show, 70 years yeah. of the trip. It, it's a different feel now. He's more, he was iconic then, but now it's more like he's the legend. So sure. many more now but yeah like i worked with some really crazy cool actors and and never it it never really phased me i've never i've only gotten two autographs in my entire life from people Uh, one of them was recent right before the pandemic january of 2020 i got to meet william Catt, the greatest american hero i was part of his i met him at the hollywood show in, in burbank and i've been kind of chasing him in a sense for for 40 years I wrote to his fan club back in 1981 and they sent me this horrible little five by seven that was machine inked. Like it wasn't his, it was his signature, then robot machine inked onto Mm. it. And I remember thinking, this is cool. But as I got older, I realized that he never signed it. So uh, I started doing shows, uh, Comic-Con shows in 2008. And I've always been like looking for him. Like when I see him, he's signing my damn photograph. (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting this, I'm getting this, I'm getting a signature. And, uh, you know, my friend Scotty called me and, and told me he's, you know, he's down here. You get, get, you get your picture and get down here. And it's still like mint and the original envelope. You know, I got, I got to meet him and talk with him and explain to him my 10 year old frustration of getting <laughs> my, my little awesome fake autograph. And he, and I, and he's like, do you want any, any, a new picture? Didn't want any of us pictures all i wanted was my picture my five my crappy little headshot five by seven and and it's kind of like double sign now and he wrote this is the real signature on it 
that means more to me than than sure. like pretty much any other person that I've ever met because it was that was so personal to me. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone else is kind of like they're act they're working actors. I don't think there was really you know it was Ralph Hinckley from The Greatest American Hero and Duncan McLeod from Highlander. Those were the two people like that I wanted their autographs. Otherwise, everyone else kind of to me is either like a friend or just a regular working actor that I'm just happy to hang out with and meet. Sure. Now I, now I can count him as a friend, but that autograph fan thing, I really never got with anybody. I think it was because you're in the same industry. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. See them, you don't see them as I can watch TV and I see like a sitcom. I don't see the, the house. I see half of a house and above it, is lights and boom mics and i see i've seen behind the curtain yeah you got to see how the sausage was made it's a little yeah. different for you Tastes different i get yeah i get yeah. that i get that all right brad we have one final question for you we yes, like sir. to call it our silly question okay you may answer this as serious or silly as you like if you were to write an autobiography who would you have help you write it and what would its title be who would i have help me write it, it used to be um what was it? What's his name? Um, did the penguin Morgan Freeman? Okay. And because when I hear Morgan Freeman's voice now narrating something, I start laughing. It's just <laughs> because, because he's like he's like God, you know, from the sure. The, yeah. I don't think of him as like March of the Penguins, Morgan Freeman. I think of him as like he's trying not to be funny. So, in regards to who would narrate it, it would probably wind up being Morgan Freeman. Samuel L. Jackson, but the real, like the Samuel L. Jackson with the MF, like just the full force mm -hmm. of Samuel Jackson. The full Samuel. Uh, the full Samuel L. Jackson. Um, you know, it was the second part of the, of the question. Uh, and uh, what would its title be? The title would be Good Grief. It would, just have to, it would have to be, it would have to be Good Grief. <laughs> in fact, I told my buddy Tommy that I was going to be talking to you and that you were, you know, you were the voice of Charlie Brown and his response was, Good grief. So. Yeah, that's 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 been my my favorite quote my whole life. Oh, it's appropriate. Yeah. Good or grief. <laughs> there you go. But it's uh, but yeah, either Morgan Freeman or Sam Jackson. All right. Solid. Brad, thank you so much for being on a show with us today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about you and what you've got coming? Uh, well, let me see. I'm in the process of I used to have a bigger website uh, just at bradkeston.com. It's kind of tiny right now. It's going to be uh you know growing um not doing as many comic-con shows as i will be next year in 2023 once the airlines get their prospective leap together and stop mm -hmm. canceling flights and stranding us in bizarre airports i'll wind up doing more shows i think the next show let me see uh is thought i had it on the top of my head i do not but i have it right here it is um yeah, West Texas Comic Con in Lubbock, Texas, uh, July 16th and 17th. So, intend and uh, let's see what what I want to do from there. If I want to kind of just end it for the year and let the airlines fix themselves and COVID kind of fix itself. Sure. Committing to a whole like series of, of fun and debauchery on the, <laughs> on well, the road. If, if you don't want to and you want to risk the airlines i'm sure we could get you in touch with some for the monroe pop fest which is a small comic-con in michigan you have to look that one up where is that one uh monroe saw... it's right outside of detroit oh fun i'll check yeah. that one out all right oh, check that one out. thanks guys yeah 
we are definitely going to link your website and we will make sure that people know that you're going to be in Texas for that Comic-Con. I will. And uh, yeah, I'll have a list of, of the other the other shows as they come on. Okay, cool. All right, guys, we just want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show continue to grow. And we get more amazing guests like Brad Keston here, the voice of Charlie Brown to join us and have these great conversations and have some laughs. So please subscribe. It helps more than you're ever going to know. And it should be that little button that's popping up on the screen right about now. John, our, our editor will put it up there for you. So remember, kids, pop culture, it's all around us, influencing every single part of our life. So be sure to come back next week. We'll have your pop culture fix waiting right here for you on Pop Culture Addicts. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at PCA Pod Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2021 Pop Culture Addicts. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by Pop Culture Addicts or any of its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at PCAPodshow at gmail.com.